Hi everyone, welcome to the Triple Zero, the War Inside and Out podcast. This is where police, fireys, ambulance officers, doctors and nurses have the opportunity to share their experiences of what it's like on the front line. If you are battling post-traumatic stress disorder, please watch or listen to this on Spotify and YouTube with a support person. If you are in immediate danger, please contact Lifeline 13 11 14. I hope you get some value and some educational strategies on how to deal with PTSD and I hope you uh, get a greater understanding of what emergency services go through on a day-to-day basis. If you'd like to reach out to me to share your experience, my email is craiggibson75 at outlook.com and my Instagram handle is craig underscore gibson75. Thanks very much for listening and watching. As I said, it's available on YouTube and Spotify and please reach out to us if you need any help whatsoever. Thanks very much, guys. All right, welcome everyone to the Triple Zero, the War Inside and Out podcast. Uh, today I have a, a special guest with me all the way from South Australia. So this uh, podcast uh, today is just about sharing uh, what a police officer goes through on a day-to-day basis and you know what it's like to be a cop. So all the way from South Australia, Andrew Cuey, how are you, mate? Yeah, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. So uh, we were just discussing before we come on, it's been uh, a little bit of a cooler and wetter summer, which has been handy. Much more welcoming, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and as you were saying, out your way, you can get 40, 45 degree days, usually in the summer. Mate, days in a row of them, they just kill you, especially with the wind and everything else. There's not much you can do, that's for sure. So this has been a welcome summer. <laughs> yeah, not wrong. <clears throat> Mate, um... A little bit about yourself, your background. I believe you were in the RAF prior to uh, joining the police. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, I joined uh, the RAF in 92, straight out of school. Yep. Went to school in Brizzy. A uh, bit of Sydney, a bit of Brisbane. The old man was in the army. And then uh, I enlisted. That was just like natural progression for me. Yep. Did my 10 years. There's a few transitional things going on. Things were changing. So a mate and I... Thought we'd jump ship and join the coppers. We we're both down here in SA at the time. Yeah. And uh, we just ended up here. He's since left the job and he's now fired. Yeah, right. Okay. Did you enjoy your time in the RAF? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm still in touch with most of the boys. Uh, I think you're always going to regret getting out. But at the same time, it was also a good decision. Yeah. So, yeah, wouldn't miss it. Yeah. For you, was it just a time for change? In, in terms yeah, that's of getting what it was, out of the RAF? Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, Timor was kicking off. Uh, it's hard enough to try and get a Guernsey to get over there at the time. You saw a lot of people going who hadn't done much. So it was just then, well, bugger it. Uh, mate, I enlisted with uh, to come to the coppers. He said, look, why don't we do something for real? Um, and we'll give the coppers a go. So we walked yeah. in and here we are. Yeah. It does seem to be a, a kind of a natural progression into that role from, you know, military or RAF into the... Um, police or ambos or fireys? Yeah, there's shit tons of the boys who have actually come across to the coppers in every state. Mm. Um, and really with the job we did, which was airfield defence, it didn't leave you with too many other options, security yeah. or the coppers. So this is the best option. Yeah, cool. Mate, uh, sorry, what year did you join the police? Oh, one. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, straight out of the Air Force and into the coppers. I had a weekend off. That was it. 
Yeah, and still going today. Yeah, mate, 20 years coming up. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. How does that feel, 20 years in the job? As, just swear? as an overview. Sorry? Can I swear? Yeah, cool. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Makes me feel fucking old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then at the same time, I mean, you look around and you don't feel any older than the young ones coming through, except in attitude, maybe. But uh, yeah. yeah, 20 years, man, that's gone fast. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure a lot has happened in that time. So, whereabouts are you now? Just uh, are you metropolitan or are you country? Uh, yeah, I'm country now on yep. highways. Okay, can you just give us a, an overview of the last twenty years? Sort of what stations and units you've been in? Yeah, when I first got out, uh, they sent me up to Mount Barker, which at that time was a very quiet station. Okay, I spent lucky to spend six months there and I said, look, I'm not going to complete my book, my probation book. I need to get out. So they sent me back down to Adelaide. Yep. Worked uh, Norwood in the city in yep. the watch house. So that was a really good experience. Mm-hmm. It was about that time uh, I had a pretty bad bike crash uh, in 03. I was coming home after night shift on overtime and uh, I fell asleep in the motorbike, came mm-hmm. off, broke both of my legs. So that took a bit of time recovery and I went into comms or dispatch. Yeah. Okay. For about 18 months. That was good. How was that time for you mentally? Uh, very hard. The crash itself caused a lot of stress yeah. for both uh, myself and the wife, uh, because she was pregnant at the time. We were just building the house and it was, I was told, look, this has got nothing to do with work. You're on your own, sort it out. So I was very lucky. I had a lot of, long service leave from the RAF and everything else, stick leave. So I started utilising that. Um, I was extremely lucky that the copper that rocked up was a speedy uh, on the bikes and he was a union rep. And he said, look, mate, this is bullshit. I'm going to put through the union and get it picked up. Yeah. So lucky for me, the union grabbed it and we fought it for three years with work cover and finally won it. So I got everything back. I was looked after. I managed to get into comms and get some shift work going where I could sit down and get the money rolling again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I spent 18 months of uh, my recovery time in there so I could get back out on the road. Wow. So it's good. What were your injuries, if you don't mind saying? I, sorry, mate. I broke yeah. my right tib and fib, snapped them in half, and then my left knee was completely ripped all the way around. So... Uh, when I had surgery on that, he called it a Hamburg with the works, ACL, PCL, and lateral. A Hamburg with the works. That's a lot of ways, <laughs> isn't it? Wow. Do you still have issues with that today? Or uh, As it's getting older, the left knee is the one with the uh, knee surgery on it. It's slowly yeah. getting a little bit worse. But I train fairly heavy in the gym. So I found that uh, a lot of leg work is helping support the knees and the legs a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow, mate, uh, lucky to survive that. Yeah, bloody oath, yeah. Mm. Mate, uh, what was your first impressions of policing? Uh, so yeah, coming from the RAF and then into the community and domestics and car accidents, neighbour disputes, probably more when you yeah. come back to Adelaide, you probably would have seen more action and more like, yeah. wow, what's going on? It's, it's never what you expect. It's not the movies. It's not what recruiting make it out to be or the pamphlets or anything else. 
it's in your face, it's the smells, the screams and everything else. The domestics are crazy. You think that you're gonna be able to walk in and sort this out. You might be able to wrestle one next, you know, the missus is on your back scratching and biting. Um, yeah. You're gonna hang on, this isn't the way it is. But uh, car crashes me in the same, you know, it's nothing like TV, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think what TV doesn't um, go into a lot is uh, having to deal with the families after the event. Yeah. Um, That's the worst thing, I think. Um, it's, yeah, dealing with the families. And I think I'm lucky because even on highways now, if we go to a fatal, uh, major crash will arrive. So they'll deal with the families and the aftermath as much. You can be sitting there with uh, a fatality for three, four, five hours, depending on where you are. Or you could even be sitting there having to deal with that last person's final breaths as they're looking to you for help. And that is the one thing that will always stick with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think every, every cop in that, that is one will really resonate with that and how difficult that can be. Yeah. yeah. I think the biggest wake up call when you first join up is always that uh, the uniform isn't a Superman suit. Yes. <laughs> it's, you know, they're not going to listen to you. They are still going to take a swing. Yeah. Once you get over that, you realise, oh shit, your job's real. Yeah, I I remember being being bulletproof once I, you know, put that <laughs> uniform on, and you quickly get a reality check, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. Do you remember a job where you first went to that went that was shocked you or was surreal? That okay, I'm a cop now, yeah. and wow. It was probably the one that drove me to get into traffic and highways. It was uh, fatal at Norwood. A uh, young girl and a bloke, he just picked her up at a club fairly late at night. He was driving her home and he wrapped the car around a stovey pole, a uh, telegraph pole. So he was drunk. The first thing we were on scene really quick, he was out of the car on the phone to his mates, make sure they didn't tell his girlfriend. And meanwhile, we've got this young girl out of the car. I'm holding the IV bag for the ambos because I've got it down to her underwear and she's dying in front of you. And uh, the injuries weren't too much to look at. You could just see a belly growing with the internal bleeding and the life just goes, you know. Yeah. So you're sitting there helping that and you just go, you know, this is, this is bad. Yeah. Horrendous. And then you've got this bloke more worried about himself than anything else. Yeah, because they've just met, so there's not that connection between them. That's yeah. it. That self-preservation kicks in. I'll just look after myself. Yeah, mate. Yeah, yep. Mm. Does that still sit with you today? And, and how do you manage if, you, if that does? Yeah, that's, I think you never forget any of those jobs, yeah. especially with their fatalities and that. Uh, you remember just about all of them if you want to. Uh, I always remember that one. That's probably my first full-on one. Yeah. So, and I always reflect back. I'll try and use that as an example when dealing with people. Look, slow down. Don't be an idiot. Don't drink a drive. Don't do this and this. So yeah, 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 great. Um, you mentioned about um, that was the reason you kind of went into traffic. Is yep. was that so you could that affected you? So you just wanted to be in a role that you could have some uh, influence over driver behaviour. Definitely, mate. I think that's what made me realise that more innocent people and lives are changed from just driving than anything else. And it's the errors that people make every day that can cause the fatalities. So, yeah. you know, if I can get out there and just try and change the behaviour of a couple of people and save a few lives, then I'm doing all right. 
Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, mate. And I think people don't understand too, uh, with, with fatalities, they don't have to be high speed or, you know, just carnage. Like I've been to some jobs where, you know, there wasn't a great deal of speed involved. It was just, just the way the car impacted with a, with a pole or a, not, or a tree or, or another vehicle. And, uh, you know, so it doesn't take a lot um, of driver behavior that is just a little bit excessive that can have catastrophic outcomes. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I've been at jobs that have been a simple one. Like uh, I worked in Nullarbor on highways out there. And I went to one where a female driver veered off a road because she's scared of a road train coming at her. And her and her husband in the car, towing a caravan, she's veered off. And if out there, there's nothing. She could have kept going straight and just taken the foot off and would have stopped. But she's boarded her out pretty tight and caused them to roll over. Minimal wow. damage. She died, broke her neck. Hubby got out fine. Yet I've been to one where it was a high speed with a crook driving, methed up everything else, puts it around a stoby pole, the car's caved in, yet somehow he's managed to jump out and run. You sit there going, fuck, you know, I think sometimes it's fate. Yeah. Just, I think policing makes you realise that uh, you, you just can't explain some things. <laughs> no, nah, mate, that's it. You see things that uh, people never will and you tell people, no, nah, that's bullshit. Yeah. So with people that, because we're, we're growing an audience also that uh, is, you know, they're not in the police or they're not in emergency services. Um, and so part of what I'm trying to do is raise awareness of what actually emergency services personnel go through. Are you able to share a couple of stories from your, your 20 years that, that uh, might yep. give people an insight into what it's like to be a cop? Uh, I love it for the freedom. Yep. Right. Um, compared to the defence, you'll rock up to work at the military, excuse me, you'll have a parade, it's all very controlled and everything else, you'll be told what you're doing that day, where you're going, who with, you're always monitored, except for very few jobs. You come to the coppers, you'll rock up in the morning, um, you'll have your parade, here's your keys, this is who you're riding with, go to your job, if there's any jobs on hold, go deal with them, you're on your own, you know what I mean? And I think the sense of freedom is amazing. But at the same time, you've got to think for yourself, everything's on you. If it goes wrong, it's on you. But you've got the opportunity as an individual to make changes. You can either improve someone's life, you're going to change someone's life most of the time by arresting or reporting or taking their licenses away or whatever else. Yeah. At the same time, uh, yeah, you can make some really good benefits if you want to take the time to do it. Yeah. So I think you'll also see things that no one else ever will. You know, um, you know, front row seat to the greatest show on earth is a term that's being used. Yeah. And it's yeah. true, you know, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've come across quite a few people that have had, you know, a, as a general member of the public, you, you're going to come across one traumatic event sometime in your life. Police officers have that weekly. Mm, daily. Yeah. Daily, yeah. Mm. Uh, can you give some examples of some jobs that you've been to that, that people might not um, know that police do? <coughs> um, excuse me. You're all right, mate. Uh, there's a lot of like things like mental health jobs that we deal with a lot, the domestics. I've had some really interesting mental health jobs. Yeah. Things people wouldn't believe. I mean, I've always said if Jesus is coming back, he's going to get detained or sectioned. 
So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've met Jesus a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's always interesting. You sit back afterwards, the boys have a beer and a bit of a laugh, but it's time yeah. to try and do your best for them. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's absolutely anything. We're the first port of call, and I even saw that when I worked in comms because uh, we did the triple locals there as well. And it's not the fires, it's not the ambos or anyone else. The first thing people think of if they're ever in trouble, even if you're not in trouble and they just don't know something, it's the coppers. Yes. You know, you can be walking down the mall and someone will come up saying, oh, excuse me, can you tell me where such and such might be? So you're the information centre, you're bloody absolutely everything. And you have to be uh, capable, willing and flexible to deal with everything as it comes your way and think yeah. on your feet. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that... Um, in, with mental health in the police, obviously you go to probably more of the extreme um, issues that, that are out there. I was not scared, but I was really super alert at those jobs because of the unpredictable nature of them. Like one minute you could be talking to them quite yeah. fine. And then next minute they are absolutely trying to tear you to pieces. And so that unpredictability yeah. always made yeah. me nervous, I guess. Do you find that or is that something well, for you? Even still, man, even still, because like New Year's Eve is a great example. I had just a normal traffic stop. We're stopping everyone uh, doing breathos, uh, mobile breath testing. Uh, pull a bloke over, stopped a dozen cars already. No worries, busy street, having a chat to him. Breatho was negative. Drugs are fine. Trollers goes past in the cage car, the divvy van. You're good? Yeah, no worries, man. We're all good. They kept going. By the time they got in 200 metres up the road, all of a sudden I said, this bloke, look, you've got a hole in your exhaust, everything else. I'm going to have to deal with this. Snap, bang, it was on. And it was uh, it was pretty full on. So I'd call for a patrol, come back straight away. We got gas in, uh, everything else. And it was just a split second change. Mm. Afterwards, it was nothing. And he, by the time we got to the cells, he was good. He goes, man, I was getting angry. issue. really sorry about that. <laughs> and you sit there going... Yeah, dude, no worries. Thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible how a, a traffic stop turns into just this roller coaster ride of uh, physical and emotional uh, just oh, yeah. crap. But, I mean, there's been coppers here who've just gone to knock on a door and next thing you know, they've had a shotgun blast through it and ripped half their face away. Yeah. And they're still in the job now. Um, it can be absolutely anything. It, it's that guy standing on the street corner that someone's called about acting weirdly that suddenly pulls a knife. It's that complete unpredictability. It's why I love the job, but it's also that thing that can really do your head in if you let it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was it like in comms when you were, were receiving the call, but sitting back, you couldn't do anything about it? What, what was that like? Um, that got intense. There was a few times there because you're in trip locals or you're doing dispatch on the radio. On the radio, it's okay because you can try and help them as best as you can. Yep. At the same time, you're useless. So you're sitting back and you can hear the patrols fighting or whatever else and you're going, shit, shit, shit. Um, I remember even in comms, I had a call come through. You pick it up and the first thing he said is, uh, I've shot the prick. If he fucking moves, I'll kill him. Like, oh, fuck. Right, no worries. So the next three hours, we're on the phone. I'm chatting this guy trying to get it sorted. And he was either drunk, messed up or whatever. He was over at mate's house, woke up. He reckons his mate had lost a shit, so he shot him. There's two kids in the house. And you're on the phone trying to get that resolved and trying to work through what's going on, put all the info on the CAD for the patrols to get there. 
I think the worst part would be that one was he was in a pretty remote area. Mm. And uh, Starry's, I think he called TRG, trying to organise their staging and doing their job. And you sit there going, mate, uh, he's going, where are the coppers? Get him here, get him here. I said, mate, coppers, hey, you can get fucking pizzas quicker than a copper. <laughs> so <laughs> you just got to, you know, try and work with situations, but they get really intense. Even there, they were good. Yeah. Did you find it a different mental stress? Because you're, I guess, in comms, the the aftermath of those calls, um, you, you've got to kind of visualize it yourself. Like there's almost like an imagination you put to, like you're getting the call and you're, you're actually then trying to visualize what's happening as opposed to going to the job. You can see exactly what is happening and what you need it, what resources you need. Is there a different stress to that or did that, yeah, did you find yeah. a difference in that? Massive. Cause I think if you're on the job itself, you can have your, um, the job finishes for you. So you'll be chatting with a mate afterwards or whatever else you can debrief about it. You know, it's been fixed and how it's been fixed. Whereas on the calls of the radio, like you said, it's all mental. So you're only imagining what's happened. Yeah. Um, once the job's finished, you're on to the next one and you're still thinking about that last one. Holy shit. I hope they're okay. You know, if you can, you try and get a message if you know them, but it was constantly sitting there going, Oh shit. And then you question yourself, could I have done something better? You know, a good operator up there, it can make a big difference. Oh, so yeah, definitely. And plus, you're stuck inside, man. You know, so there's a uh, well-lit room, but there's no sunlight or fresh air, so that makes a big difference too. How long were your shifts in comms and how much, how much, how much break would you get? Uh, they were 10-hour shifts except for nights, which was the standard eight. Yep. Uh, and you had, I think it was 15 minutes every now and then and a half-hour meal break. But it was all scheduled through, so you couldn't just get up and go. Yeah. Sorry about the questions with comms. I'm really curious. No, man. Um, yeah, yeah. How many calls would you get a day, roughly? Or that would depend. It could be from – you'd have quiet days where you're sitting on the zeros and uh, you're only getting one or two calls. And that could be Mavis down the road whose cat's been playing up again or the neighbours yeah. have music to uh, – you know, he could be inundated with constant calls and really losing your shit and pulling your hair out. Yeah, so it's just up and down. You know, it can be great. You got your feet up. There's no paperwork, everything yep. else, but it can be full on when it wants to. Yeah. Wow. Did you ever have a need or a want from a calling comms where you wanted to meet the person you spoke to on the other end of the line? Did that ever happen? Yeah. Um, I think you're always curious. I don't think I ever really wanted to go any further than that. Um, and I think I was able to stay semi-detached most of the times. Mm. I think the patrols are the ones you want to try and catch up with the most who have gone through it. Yeah. Um, because with the triple zeros, I've sat there on the phone a few times and you're wondering how this person's a lot of times domestics or something like that. And uh, you'd hear them screaming and whatever else. And you just go, holy shit. Then you hear the coppers arrive. Yeah, okay, now I can hang up. I'll let it go, move on to the next one. But yeah, there's definitely times you sit there going, Oh, fuck, are they all right? Yeah. Why can't I do something more? Mm. Yeah. Mate, that, yeah, that's great. I, I, um, it's great to get a bit of an insight into what that, how cops get to a job and it's through comms and, you know, what, yeah. what that involves. So that's really interesting. Are yours up there civvies or are they coppers? A mixture of both. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a mixture of both. Um, similar to you, I think people that uh, 
well actually from from what i know like i'm not i'm not totally 100 percent sure what it exactly is now um because i've been out a little while but back in the day similar to you it was you know if there was a need for someone to be in a in a role where it wasn't out on the road then that was an option um the majority of them however were civilians yeah yeah yeah, yeah so i think it's good having coppers up there because i got that experience and knowledge yeah yeah exactly um we've been in traffic any long good pursuits that you had and what what's the pursuit policy in south australia is that different uh, to don't. <laughs> don't yeah it's pretty much the way it's got isn't it yeah it's yeah yeah no nah, i mean we have one it's very good and uh we now have um uh vehicle locators in every fleet yeah so back in Adelaide, they can see how fast you are and if your lights are on. It's all well maintained and managed by a pursuit commander. Right. So yeah. they can organise patrols from across the state to move in wherever the pursuit's going. Drones, choppers, everything. So we've got it. And we had one the other day with uh, <laughs> K-Sun Cox was her name, believe it or not. <laughs> She's all over socials. I think I saw something like that on socials, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, we uh, kicked off a pursuit with her and that ended up, I think, all the way back down in Adelaide by the time we got her. Um, you know, various fleets taken over, patrols and everything else, and they finally got a dog together. And that worked out well. So yeah, these days they get their resolve a lot better and a lot safer to back when I first joined where it was really loose. Yeah, absolutely. I think for people that aren't cops, uh, listening or watching is, you know, there's a fine line between trying to protect and serve and uh, uh, also not putting anyone in danger. It's a really fine line. It's very difficult for cops. Yeah, mate. Even now, I think as you get more experienced and older, you're sitting there going, this ain't worth it. I'll terminate. And you back out straight away. We'll get him down the road. It's all good. You know, rather than back when you were young and keen and you might have pushed the edge a little bit further. These days, it's a lot safer. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a, a funny or a weird story that you've, or a job that you went to that you can share? <laughs> uh, I'll go back to Jesus again. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was back when I was working in Norwood. Uh, and we were tasked with a mental health job. A bloke had taken to his missus, unfortunately, with a shovel. And she'd gone to hospital. She was going to be all right. He was still in the house. We've gone in and it's like a split level sort of house. So there's some stairs leading down into the kitchen. And we found him under the stairs naked. All right, mate, no worries, come out. He's all compliant, covered in sweat, got him cuffed. Uh, mate, what's going on? Uh, I've come back to save the world. You know, you go, oh, shit, no worries, man. On the kitchen table is a candle burn. We go to blow that out. No, 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 no. You'll kill the dog of Satan in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah, all right, no worries, man. So <laughs> he's all good. We get him to the hospital. He's constantly trying to sit up in bed. I said, mate, just relax. You know, they're going to help you. No, no, I've got to heal everyone. I must heal them. Dude, just relax. Otherwise, you're going to put doctors out of a job. My son, you're a wise man. <laughs> and after that, he just relaxed. No worries at all. He was good. <laughs> you're a wise <laughs> So, yeah, no, you get some good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's what, you know, mental health, it, it is so unpredictable. And uh, you, you, you can have a funny and a really good experience and you can get them help. But then, yeah, you can have situations where it just really goes pear-shaped and, it, and you can't predict which way it's going to go. Mm. No, they're the hairiest ones you're always going to go to. 
Yeah. Mate, um, I'm actually, I don't know if you're aware of it, but um, I'll, I'm going to talk a lot more about this later, but um, Beyond Blue have put out a, uh, a national survey called Answering the Call into the Mental Health and Wellbeing of Emergency Services. Um, it's 126 pages. It's actually, I'm, I've only just sort of become aware of it and downloaded it and I'm getting through it, but um, it's actually fascinating reading. And it's the first time ever there's been a national um, data collection on the well-being of emergency services. And so, you know, to be in 2021, that, you know, doesn't sit well with me, but um, I, I've sort of thought about some things based on my own experience and talking to a lot of people is I'd love to just get your opinion on, you know, just whether this would be um, needed or, or, or what, but um, I sort of would love to see in the future uh, a full-time counselor or psychologist in every station or every group of stations that is completely independent to police procedures, promotion, training. They are an independent mental health team where police officers can go to and, and discuss their, you know, family life, what, you know, issues that they're having from trauma on the job or anything that they're dealing with their past um, that is completely independent of the station supervisor or commander or crime manager. Um, also a full-time nutritionist just to help cops with meal plans and what to eat. And, you know, it doesn't have to be too, too involved, but, you know, someone that they can go to if they're, you know, got some bad eating habits, um, education around uh, nutrition, and also um, whether it's a casual or a part-time personal trainer that can come into the station and, you know, just uh, help police uh, move better and feel better about themselves and possibly keep up, keep up their activity, lose weight, um, you know, build muscle. Um, and, you know, basically just, those three areas I think could make a really big difference um, to the well-being of, of cops and, and same with ambos and fireys that um, is going to help more in the day-to-day mental health of what we, what everyone goes through. So what do you think that's something that would be needed or is. Mate, I'd say it's vital. Um, I'll yeah. start with the fitness side of it all. Um, and I say Paul have just said, sent out emails, ask if anyone interested in doing Cert three and four in fitness. Yeah, um, I love my weights. Love smashing heavy, getting bigger, everything else. So and diet, exercise are extremely vital. And if I can have a few people trained up um, who are willing to help others for both their mental health, because fitness will help you deal with stress. It can help you just uh, to cope a lot better with your own um, depression, mental health and all that sort of stuff, it really does make a difference. Yeah. Eating is a huge factor in all that. If you're going to be eating Maccas every fucking shift, yeah. uh, drinking copious amounts of coffee, you've got the weight problems, the sleep problems, and then the stresses of the job, of course you're going to struggle. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you can get a few of those going, it's fucking the best thing we could do. Yeah. Um, for the counsellors or even the psychs, Mm. I'd like to see it. I really would. I've lost two very close mates and uh, one, a third who was a bit of a mentor uh, to suicide in the job. And there's been others I've known of who have killed themselves. So 
having having that open door counsellor or psychologist at every major station, I think would be absolutely huge. But I saw an example once of a boss, or I read a story about it, where a boss walked into, they had a similar situation in the States. They had a, uh, a mental health nurse. He'd walk in there every Friday. And after a few weeks, the nurse has gone, look, you don't seem to have any issues. What's going on? And the boss has turned around and said, if I can be seen coming in here regularly, then my troops won't be afraid to come in. Wow. I think if you can get that sort of attitude mm. um, and just be able to walk in there and just feel free to have a chat without any stigma, and that's a big thing still in the job, I think, um, or without bosses looking at you or being worried that it's going to negatively impact you, it'll be fucking the best thing we could do. Absolutely, mate. That's a that's an amazing example of what leadership is. Is that 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 um, you know the supervisor or the commander going in, and if the troops see him doing it, well, mm. you know it's okay for for them to speak to him. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's actually really interesting because I'm getting uh, messages and emails from from people that uh, they're they're it's the complete opposite. They're they're suffering and they're in pain or they're, you know, there's some harassment going on or bullying and they're not actually going to their commanders because they don't feel that uh, it, it will, there's going to be repercussions from that. Yeah. So it, it's really an area that, um, and reading into the beyond blue report just initially is that, that uh, the stigma around reporting what everyone's going through is, is still a real problem. Yep. It's hard because being regional as well, I've had yeah. a couple of mates who have had um, issues. So they've reached out through EAS, the assistance line and all that sort of stuff, and started down the route of mental health, um, getting help for it. But then they've got to drive to Adelaide, which is so a three, four hour drive. And I had a mate who had to stop every half hour just to get control of himself to get there. Now, how is that supposed to help him? Do you know what I mean? He's now stressing out about even getting there. So he's already worked up before he's gotten to see the site. After seeing a site, and, and I have seen one myself and had some help after a few issues. Yeah. Um, you then got to try and unravel everything in your own head of what you've just gone through. I call it decompressing. Yeah. After speaking to a psych, and then you try and get home again. That's, it's not good enough. If I had them out in the regional areas, it'd be so much better and easier. So like you said, if you had a psych, at a major area, uh, each major station where people could just walk in and have a chat, it'll be it's a massive change. Yeah, yeah, huge. It's something that, uh, and it's it really born uh, from my own experience. So I was, I was going through uh, a divorce, going, you know, leaving the cops, and, you know, I was really not understanding what I was going through. Um, personally in terms of all the trauma that I'd, I'd been exposed to and then a divorce and um, you know I was involved in risk-taking behavior and you know I, I was kind of the guy that um, would always be be the clown and make light of things and uh, you know just but it was all a front it was all a facade oh, and, and the last thing I wanted to do back then was reach out and talk to someone else in the cops or any of my family and friends, because the last thing I wanted to come across as is weak. Um, mm. And so 
I, I, whether I would have, I don't know, but if there was a independent person that had no judgment on or influence over whether I was promoted or I couldn't get onto that training course because I'd spoken out or my friends and family didn't know if there was someone that I could have gone and spoken to, I know how much it would have helped me looking back now. Uh, mate, I agree with you. Um, and even back in the day, we used to have a few beers, we had a meal room after work. Yeah. And there were, it wasn't a formal peer support but it was with your mates after a shift. And even back then, you could see when a mate had a few issues, when he seemed a bit off. And he could have said, hey, mate, let's have a chat. You need to maybe go in and see the psych. And I'd go see her tomorrow morning when she's in her office. Mm-hmm. And being able to do that without any lag or delay or distance, that'll make a difference. Um, yeah. Whether I would have done it, well, I don't know. That's a question. But maybe if I had yeah. someone put their hand on the shoulder saying, look, how about I come in with you? might have made a difference as well yeah i think the way it would have to work is it would need to be implemented and then we would need to start to breed a culture that it was okay to go and talk to them and that would take yeah. time mm. yeah and that's where that peer support comes back into it yeah. um i believe in talking to people about what i've gone through i'm more than happy to share it with other coppers um and be there and willing to say you know are you okay but it's not just a question, but actually sit down and take the time to listen. Yeah. And that's what is needed is to uh, take time and listen. Yeah. You said that obviously you lift weights and you're, you're fit. Mate, um, that and what else do you do to manage your stress day to day? Ride my bike as much as I can. Yeah. So uh, get on the motorbike and there's no better freedom. Just disappear and uh, enjoy some hills and twists and everything else and just relax yeah that's always a good one yeah um spend some family time that's always a bit hard but uh and just some downtime on yourself as well which is good yeah uh shift work at the moment what shifts are you on and what what they're we're what, lucky man i won't probably don't do night shift <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> but we do some long ones uh South Oz is all eight hours. I think they're looking at changing that. There's uh, trials going on now for different uh, shifts. Yep. But um, well, we don't do nights now as highways. We do do later shifts. We can do work till two or four in the morning. But we do, we get a lot of overtime um, for RBTs and things like that in the highways. Highway patrol just to extend you out so you're out invisible. So we could work up to 10, 12 hour shifts sometimes. Yeah, so it's not too Yeah. Yeah, okay. What's it like when you're, potentially on your own out in those regional areas or out on the Nullarbor. Um, what's that like? Good and bad. Um, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts, so yeah. at least you yeah. have a voice going. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's always good, you know. Um, at the same time, you become very uh, resilient and self-reliant, so you're soon learning how to talk to people. A lot of ways that coppers don't have to worry about. So that verbal judo is vital. Um, yeah. and you're thinking on your feet constantly. And there's, there's times where you go, I'm not going to deal with this guy here. I'll deal with him down the road because it's about 200 k's to the next station. So it's just you just deal with things a little bit different. Yeah. Um, it, I do miss sometimes going to up just for that uh, laugh and the camaraderie, Yeah, definitely. But we still have our uh, group sessions where we'll go out and do some big truck stops and things like that, and all the boys are together. And that's when we have our laughs and a bit of fun, so it's good, yeah. Yeah, you keep that camaraderie going when you get those groups together. Definitely. Yeah. Mate, um, 
Is there a time in the cops or a job that you've been to that has made you proud to be a police officer? Yeah, we were speaking about this earlier, weren't we? Mm. Um, it changes, you know, uh, from when you first join, I think just putting the uniform on made you proud. Uh, just locking up that crook made you proud. I think now, if you can take five minutes and speak to someone and just get them to change their mind in regards to you as a copper, although we're never individuals, people always see us as a whole. So if you can just help someone change your attitude or mind a little bit towards coppers and go, you know what? Maybe it wasn't a cut. Maybe they are okay. Mm. You know what I mean? Then that makes me proud these days. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a, and that's all part of, I know that, you know, I listened to your episode on Blue Falcon Radio, which is the American police podcast. And, yeah. uh, you know, same with myself, just prior to getting involved in this, I was just hearing so many stories um, and opinions about police from, <clears throat> um, you know, 20 somethings in the gym that I used to go to and, you know, police are just, you know, lazy and they only do speeding tickets. And I just, there's just a really a, a lack of awareness of what police actually really go through. And so those guys over in America are and, and, and ourselves are trying to bridge that gap to say, Hey, you know, we actually go through some heavy shit and we're not, yeah. we're not all bad. And, you know, you might come across, um, a, a grumpy cop, but it's not because it's directed at you. It's just the pile of shit they've had for the eight hours prior to them coming across you. Um, so yeah, it's, it's the more that we can talk about being our, or sharing our real experiences and what, what it's, what we actually really go through. It might help just to bring more awareness to, to the community to like, there's some understanding on both sides of the fence. I agree, mate. I think a lot of people see coppers as what they see on TV. And a yes. lot of that's glorified. There's a lot of bullshit that goes with it. A lot of it's all detectives or crime scene. And yeah. you and I both know those jobs are nothing like what you see on telly. Yeah. Um, so if they can actually see what your average patrolman goes through on a day-to-day, -day, would completely vastly change. Shows like Highway Patrol and RBTs and all that are good because it shows yeah. the attitude of the public that we cop that yes. most people wouldn't see. Yes. Um, and I think they're great. You know? Yeah. I'd like to see uh, ride-alongs like they do in the States. Yep. Um, from business leaders, community members, and all that sort of stuff, jump in the car and just roll with us for a couple of shifts just to see what goes on. Yep. I think that would make a huge difference as well. But then yep. you've got liability and everything. Yeah, it is It is hard, but you're spot on. that there'd be a flood of funding for cops if politicians had to ride along and see what. The... <laughs> <laughs> Mate, um, for someone that is at the academy now or wants to join the police, do you have any advice for them? Take your time. Um, ask a shit ton of questions before yeah. you go in. Don't be afraid to walk up to coppers and be genuine and ask them what it's all about. Um, don't go in there with, oh, how do you put it? Don't go in there expecting to change the world because you won't. You might be able to change your life, but you're never going to change the world. Um, definitely do it, but don't get stuck at one station. Try a bit of everything. Remember, I think, uh, so a lot of people go in there 
I see them when they come out on uh, their out phases. And the first thing I ask them, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to be a starry or I want to be a detective. Why is that? Oh, because that's where all the fun is. Mm. Mate, it's not. If you want the action, patrols is where it's at because they're the ones knocking on the door and being shot at. They're the ones stopping the car full of guns, knives and drugs and everything else. So learn your bread and butter before you want to go further. Take your time and just enjoy the ride. Yeah, great advice. Is there a tenure in South Australia of, so you come out of the academy, you do your probation period and then you get confirmed to a constable, rank of constable. Is there a tenure then that you have to do in GDs um, in South Australia? Because in New South Wales, oh, from last time I remember, it was three years. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I reckon so. they're supposed to do a, I know it's five years before you can reach senior county. You've got to have a bit of time on the road. Mm. But I know that some people can jump a bit and get on courses if they're showing a bit of uh, a bright light. Mm. But I think that it should be a minimum, definitely, uh, on the road for them. Just to learn their bread and butter, learn how to talk. You know, how to talk to a crook is not something everyone can do, that's for sure. Yeah. But if you want to be a good D, if you want to be good at anything this job, you've got to know how to talk to the crooks. Yeah. I think I was about four years in before I felt really comfortable to rock up to my shift and um, have anyone with me and just roll. Oh, I, yeah. I, you know, so I think you're still learning so much legislation and, um, yeah. uh, you know, policy and procedure. And then you become senior on a car crew and you start to then look after not only yourself, but you know, your junior, your junior partner and, and, it, and then you just got to go in day after day after day and be nervous and not knowing what you're doing and just roll with the punches. But it was about four years where I remember just going, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm comfortable now to, to do you, did you find there was a time where you weren't sure, but then think, it just all fell into place? I reckon the first six months I walked around like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and then after a few, uh, after yeah. a few knocks, you realize that you don't know shit. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. It'd probably be the, the first four to five years and then you start to get a grasp. And I think that's what I love about the job now still. I don't know everything. Yeah. You know, I'm still, making a phone call. And that's the one thing I'll always tell everyone, don't be afraid to make a phone call because yeah. you're not going to know everything, man. Yeah. Um, and ask advice. And I mean, there's times you got an arrest, it'd be a big one. And you've got an idea of what you made the arrest for. Well, you're pretty confident what the arrest is about. You know your powers, you followed your legislation. But then you get back and you'll sit around going, right, what's the most appropriate offences here? So you sit around and you discuss that. Well, what did he do? Well, how about this one is more appropriate than that one? So no one's going to know everything, man. Yeah. And that's a good thing about this job. There's always room to learn. Yeah, hundred percent. And so I, I talk my own experience and talking to so many people is, and that's why I'm trying to um, really get to a, a place where we can look after cops as we go along so we can keep them in the job. And because no one really, everyone, everyone loves it. Everyone enjoys the role and the diversity and they're making a difference. And um, the longer that we can keep people in that career is, is better. But I think, you know, we, we burn out and we, we get exposed to so much and, you know, the, the support. Um, we want to keep people in the role. We want to keep people in the job. I'd still be in the job if I 
had understood what I was going through. Yes. Yeah, yeah. so I, I just think the more awareness and support we can, we can give each other um, in the job, the better that the longer our career will be. Yeah, I agree. And I think folks like yourself are vital, willing to say, look, mate, it's okay. You know, if you fall down, it is okay. Yeah. Here's a hand, I'll help you get up. And uh, that needs to be out there. We yep. need blokes like yourself who are saying it. We need them in every station. Those senior blokes who the young coppers are looking up to have to be willing to say, it's okay, mate. I can see you struggling. Don't mm. worry about it. You know, I'll help you yeah. get through this. There is help. Yeah. Great message, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just going back one last probably war story, but, uh, and not people not understanding what cops go through, but, do you remember a house that you went into and you went, wow, people live like this? Which one? <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> people don't realise uh, just how much of it is around there, around, in, oh, yeah. I can't even speak, like, you know, um, dogs and cats just crapping in the house and kids are running around amongst it and just the way people live is amazing. That was it, one thing that shocked me. It's feral. So working Metro, I've been to houses where there was like full-blown meth houses and we were finding needles in the cribs, baby's crib, um, cockroaches walking up the walls. Um, mm. I went to an old bloke that had died and he was shitting in buckets. But you could see where he'd missed a bucket and there's just trails of dried shit throughout the house. And I'm on there, I'm there for a couple of hours doing my investigation as we do here. And stench, man. You know, and then you see cockroaches and all that. And it's like, oh, this is fucked. And then you work regional. And I've been out to some very remote communities. And a uh, different story out there again. It can be completely feral. And it's, uh, there's some, yeah, some sights I've seen, man. I just go, no way. How can people yeah. do this? Yeah, mm. yeah. I was sent a photo recently of a, of a house that uh, the... Uh, the cop went into and oh, mate, I'd shocking. And yeah, people, and the smell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I walked out. We had a guy, a uh, mental health job, and uh, he was living with his mum and dad in a small retirement house. Uh, beautiful. As you do, you walk into these houses, they're all immaculate. They smell of potpourri and everything else. But their son was uh, refusing to leave his bed for whatever reason, adult son. So me and more side have walked in there and the stench of shit in us. So Potpourri, as you walk in the door and then you get to his bedroom, there's a stench of shit. And he hasn't left his bed for days. He's just shitting himself. Mm. Um, mental health and drugs. Yeah. I've walked out, had a vomit. Because <laughs> the stench was just too much. I'm going, mate, I, I can't do this. This is disgusting. Your side has walked in, thrown a cuff over him, dragged him, just dragged him throughout the house. Got the hose out, hosed him off, gave him the hose. But fuck me. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. a great example of what cops fucking do that people yeah. have no idea goes on. Nah, man, they don't. <laughs> and I think if you had that as a recruiting video, no one would come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 100%, mate. Um, it's definitely a unique job. Um, you know, the diversity is just crazy. And uh, yeah, mate, the more that we can uh, share our experiences, the better. Um, you've lost two friends to suicide um, and, yeah. and another person that, that you knew and uh, I have as well. And 
I was asked this question on a podcast with Blue Falcon Radio recently, and I, I just I thought it was good. And sorry to put you on the spot, but no, man. If you've got a colleague or a police officer or Ambo Fiery, someone listening to this that is really struggling at the moment, and they're not turning to anyone, they're they're keeping it all insular, and they're getting to a, a really bad place. Do you have a, a message for them? You've got to reach out. I know it gets dark. I've been through it myself. Um, and that dark road gets easier to walk down sometimes. Mm. And I think it is easier to walk down the dark path knowing where it's going to lead than it is to reach out for help. So I think it's just trying to find that inner strength just to reach out to one person. That's all it's going to take to reach out to one person and say, mate, can you come over? I think I'm in trouble. Um, I know one of my mates, he planned it. So I think we could have helped him. Whereas my other mate, Miki, he did it over air. He did a Facebook post, did it over air, and then killed himself. So when it's blokes like that, I don't know how we're going to get to those boys because that's sitting in a dark place for a long time without anyone knowing, or I don't think they realise either Yeah. until it just happens. Yeah, yeah. But definitely, you just got to reach out to that one person. It's mm. all it takes. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate that message. And yeah, really, uh, yeah, well put. Mate, um, everything going well in your life in the next three to five years? What does it look like? Yeah, nothing changes here, man. <laughs> the good times the roll. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Might upgrade the motorbike. Uh, if the wife lets me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, nah, man, I don't plan on uh, changing too much now. I'm at the point where I'm pretty happy with the way everything's going. So, yeah, it's good. Awesome. Awesome, mate. Well, uh, we, we've messaged about uh, next time you're in Sydney, we're going to catch up for a beer. Uh, Beers are on, man. Yeah. Mate, um, you're, you're friends with Ian Rawson, I believe, from Warfighter exactly. Coffee. Yeah, mate. Yep. We served together in the Air Force. Yes. Mate, the legend, he sent me some uh, bags of beans and uh, grounded coffee. So what we're going to do for each episode is uh, pick a person at random and we're going to uh, send them a bag of beans and some grounded coffee uh, on behalf of Warfighter Coffee. And um, just he, he's, um, he's been a great supporter of what, what this is, um, you know, I mean, you might know a little bit more about his story, but um, he's up there, got a cafe in Townsville, I believe, and um, distributes from, from Queensland. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, on a, you know, retired from the military, but he spends all of his time and energy in uh, coffee because I think that's his passion. Um, and the proceeds from that all go back to mental health programs for um, first responders and, and military. So, um, yeah, I'm really appreciative of his support. Yeah, mate. Um, Ian's done uh, such amazing things. We're in the Air Force together. And uh, what he's done with that company is awesome. Um, yeah. And he's getting so much support for it. And he's given out huge amounts of support for both first responders and uh, a lot of the military guys. It's, it's really good. Yeah, so if you love your coffee, just uh, check out Australian Warfighter Coffee. Give them some support. Best coffee going. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, um, yeah, might uh, wrap it up there and 
really appreciate your time, Kiwi. And uh, uh, sorry about the, I forgot about the time difference between us. Between... <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right, Gibbo. I'll make it up to you next time, mate. Uh, yeah. Queensland will take you out the uh, state of origin. Oh, <laughs> mate, it's been, oh, New South Wales supporter. It's been a depressive time the last 15 years. Depressive. Yeah. <laughs> mate, I'm a Queenslander living in South Australia. You can imagine how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> well, mate, um, that, thank you so much. Great insight into uh, what police go through. Um, and, you know, as time goes on, hopefully we can do this again and um, keep sharing our experiences. And, mate, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Kevo. Look forward to it, mate. All right, keep mate. Keep up the good work. Stay on the line. I'll say goodbye.